But I suppose boredom takes you a lot of places. Yeah, usually boredom doesn't end with like waking up with a kangaroo in the backyard, though. I realized the same thing was happening, especially with COVID. Everybody wants to move out of the city. So what happened was, you know, everybody wanted to learn, okay, how do you raise chickens? How do you survive out in the country? I wonder if we're seeing some kind of end of the terminally online thing <laughs> to, to, to some noticeable quantitative degree. And I started to realize like not everyone's like Tiger King. There are some people that actually have a thousand acres and they do take care of their giraffe, which is pretty incredible. Would you say that, Kevin, that the sand at the beach is coarse and rough and irritating <laughs> and gets everywhere? Sand is horrible. It's like, oh, great. Now I have sand everywhere and like in my food. Uh, and have you ever eaten <laughs> Hey, welcome to The Create Unknown, the home of Make Something Mean Something. I am Kevin Lieber. We are live on Discord because it is TCU night, Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern, hanging out with our patrons in the chat, our lurkers not in the chat, and just listening and, and being creepy and amazing. And with me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. Uh, yeah, we've got some some lurkers and creepers, and we love them all. Creepers are what make the world go round. I think that's the saying. Um, yeah, and speaking of, <laughs> I was say, speaking of creepy things, <laughs> creepy things. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's some news that we wanted to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, we we're really really excited that uh, Smiling Friends is getting picked up by Adult Swim. So uh, Psychic Pebbles and Michael Cusack show Smiling Friends, which debuted on April Fool's last year. Uh, with the pilot, yeah. and we've been waiting forever to hear what was going to happen to Smiling Friends, even though we all, <laughs> I mean, I, I felt pretty confident that it was going to get picked up because it was yeah, just so good. It's so yeah, funny. Yeah. And the army of people going bonkers over how much they loved it. Like, I don't remember mm -hmm. the last time I saw that for a new project. I, you know, it's it's like the level of like, uh, an extended season of like the number one show. Everybody's pumped about it, but that's what was happening after 25 minutes <laughs> of, of a pilot of a yeah. pilot. Yeah, you're right. Usually <laughs> people are clamoring for like season six or something of some show. Cause by right. then it's gar guarded enough of a fan base to warrant that. But, but yeah, freaking pilot out of nowhere dropped on adult swim. And since then people have been creating fan art and just, petitioning yeah. Adult Swim to pick up the show. And finally, I don't know. I don't know what took them so long. Probably COVID-related things amongst whatever else. You know, the, the runway for animation is crazy, as yeah, we've talked yeah. about on this show. So that factors in as well. But whatever, it's happening. We're getting more episodes. And uh, we're looking forward to getting Zach and Michael back on the Create Unknown sometime this year. And I do want to point out, they come on this show, then good things happen for them. I don't see it as, as being any kind of coincidence. Uh, <laughs> right. Definitely wouldn't have happened without them hanging out with us for a few hours. That's uh, but true. no, that's, that's really good. And uh, uh, really, the, the community thing is huge. And Smiling Friends is a favorite of so many people in the Discord. They talk about it a lot. They went bananas over the, the news today. Uh, but get in there with us. 
the the Discord is awesome. The people in it are awesome. And uh, one of the community members actually uh, actually suggested the guest that we've got today, uh, Bagel in the Discord, Pittsburgh Bagel on Twitter, who's excellent. Um, I like talking to him. Uh, shot me a message and said, "Hey, I've got I've got a friend with a, a YouTube channel and a TikTok that's kind of blowing up. You should check it out." We've had a few guests that we've introed as being very different from who we usually talk to on the Create Unknown. Food for Dogs and her non-traditional gaming path, sailing doodles, yachting around the seas and oceans. But today's guest may be the most bizarre of them all. He's got video titles that sound like the trials and tribulations of this podcast. Kevin tried to kiss me at 3 a.m. Kevin has several warrants for his arrest. Kevin's holding several children hostage, and Kevin is just one of the residents of Farmer Ben's Urban Rescue Ranch. He's blowing up on YouTube and TikTok. In just a month, he's gained about half a million subscribers on YouTube. His ragtag team of animals include Poppy the Possum, Nacho the Piglet, Karen the Rhea, hit rapper and artist Baby, who is actually a kangaroo, Nugget the Chicken, pigeons named Nikon, Sony, and Canon, and of course, Poggers the dog. The animals are cool, but Ben's energetic personality and rapid edits mean that every video is kind of a machine gun of hilarity, and it's shockingly educational. His fast-paced videos showcase his process of rescuing, caring for, and rehoming animals in need, and just the daily shenanigans of the whole project. Currently, his Texas ranch is actually a tiny garden, but he's expanding to a Crack Shack and suitably large plot for the Noah's Ark-like brood he's got now, and whatever else winds up on the rescue ranch next. So look, some of us have been asking this question since the mid-1990s. Ben, maybe you can finally answer it today. What is the problem with Kevin? Uh, the problem with Kevin, uh, he, so he's, he's getting territorial just because he's a, uh, you know, he's, he's an aggressive male, right? He's overly aggressive, though. Uh, typically male rays, you know, they'll get aggressive around the mating season. They'll defend their nests and everything else. Once they hit a certain age, uh, their balls drop, so to speak. And, uh, and then they'll just go after you. And Kevin though, he's different. Uh, he was aggressive to the point where at the last place where he was, he was attacking every animal in sight. Um, and he was going after just about everything that was not a Rhea. Uh, and he was even attacking some of the females. So, oh, wow. uh, when, when we kind of found him, uh, when, when a buddy of mine who, who had been uh, kind of just farming them uh, told me about it, he said, hey, if you'd be willing to tame him down, you know, we're just going to end up killing him. We're just going to eat him. Um, and people do eat him here. People eat him and, uh, and they hunt them, believe it or not, in Texas. So I said, OK, we can do it. Um, and he's actually made a lot of progress. Uh, but there are days when it's almost like nothing happened at all. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So and how, which, what number was he in terms of the residents? Like, like, can you start at the beginning with who is animal number one? Like, how did, how did all of this start? Yeah. Uh, animal number one, that's a really hard question because we started doing this kind of as a hobby, uh, you know, senior year at Baylor, uh, when I was going to really university up in Waco and, uh, I was really bored senior year cause I knew where I was going to work. You know, it's kind of like when you're in high school and you find out where you're going to college. So high school doesn't matter anymore. Same kind of thing. <laughs> uh, you know, so we, I basically, after a certain point, I realized that I just went out to tractor supply. I got 
four chicks and a few ducklings. And then we just got a few more chicks. And then I just started farming on this backyard right next to campus. And, um, and that's how it started. It didn't start as rescue or anything like that. I was just doing it for fun for the gigs. And then after a while, those, those chicks grew up. Uh, they started having eggs and we started selling the eggs on campus. And then everybody knew me as the chicken guy or the animal guy. And anytime someone would find an injured squirrel or a pigeon that fell out of the nest or something like that, even feral hog babies that were where their parents were shot, you know, at a farm nearby, uh, they would just bring me these animals. And it just became this amazing passion of mine. Uh, I'd say the first animal, though, was probably Geronimo. It was this little pigeon that fell out of the nest at Baylor. And uh, I loved that little guy. He, he became my best friend. He would literally follow me to class. So pretty neat. Where did you get the training for this stuff? Do you just like Google how to nurse a baby pigeon back to health? I don't understand. So you know how, you know how, you know, everybody says, oh, you don't need a mechanic. Everything's on YouTube. Yeah. Kind of the same way with animals. And that might trigger a lot of people. But the thing is with, with wildlife, you need permits to take care of them. So squirrels, rabbits, anything native. Um, but with pigeons, they're technically invasive. So you know, and a lot of people have pigeons as pets, apparently. And I realized in the videos I was watching were people in India, because it's a big thing to have uh, pigeons as pets there. But it's big to have them as pets here and in the UK, a lot of Europe, too. Um, and then I just started learning every time this would happen, I would just like get really obsessed to start learning about the animals. And uh, remember, I was really bored, right? So, <laughs> so I, I me and my roommates had a lot of time to do this kind of stuff. So when, when we figured that out, I figured, oh, it couldn't be that hard to raise these things. I've raised injured chickens and, you know, we've raised a bunch of chickens. How hard could it be to raise a pigeon? We did it. And, um, you know, and then people started bringing me more um, because they'd fall out of the nest all the time. Um, so, so I'd say that was it. When it comes to credentials, you know, I learned a lot of the stuff, you know, I think this is how a lot of rehabbers start is they start just by kind of doing it under the radar, right? And then, you know, as time goes by, you get mentored, you start talking to other people, you get connected with folks, and then, um, and then you just figure things out as you go. I just want to say real quick, hold on, man. I'm sorry. I just want to say real quick that you're qualifying this whole thing by saying you were really bored. A lot of people get really bored and they like watch movies or play (laughs) video games or obtain a hobby like knitting or a, a, a musical instrument. Really bored doesn't necessarily equate to start farm in a city. <laughs> I don't see the connection. <laughs> we were bored of those things too. Don't get me wrong. We resorted <laughs> only play Red Dead 2 for so long before, before you know, I, I, that was it. My roommates and I would play Red Dead 2 and we would just be like, why don't we go out and do this? <laughs> why aren't we trapping beavers? <laughs> we're hardly... <laughs> You know, and but then we went out and, you know, and I started realizing, like, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, really interesting stuff out there once once you put yourself out there. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I got really into farming. I guess a lot of inspiration would be YouTubers. Uh, you know, Obviously, I love Steve Irwin and stuff, but I started seeing a lot of farming YouTubers pop up a, a bit ago. And I just remember seeing that stuff and thinking, like, that's the life. Like, that's what we were made for. Also, Minecraft, man, like. Minecraft, there's something primordial about Minecraft when you play it that's just like this is this is kind of just the basic functions of humanity, right? To to build a home, to raise animals and and uh you know just get into animal husbandry and uh, care for animals and uh because you have to care for animals in order to do it sustainably, you know, right? 
it's in your best interest and in their best interest. And um, yeah, so so that's that's kind of how I came to that. But I suppose, you know, yeah, boredom takes you a lot of places. <laughs> yeah, usually boredom doesn't end with like waking up with a kangaroo in the backyard, though. <laughs> but, but <laughs> I think that, we can agree that, on that. <laughs> obsession leads to that. That was, yeah. And the kangaroo is a great story because, you know, that's something that I had been bugging folks about. You know, I reach out to these farms, you know, and the folks that, uh, that, that raise them for meat and for hunting. And I would consistently say to them, like, hey, anytime you get a true orphan, uh, reach out to me. Let me know because, you know, I would love to do that because we do educational stuff on YouTube. We do educational stuff on TikTok. And we were doing TikTok forever ago. When COVID hit, though, that's whenever the TikTok really started popping off, uh, right? Because everybody's online. I'm sure, you know, uh, you guys have been doing this for a while. You know, when that when that happened, it's like, oh, viewers went up, you know, because everybody's just doing that. Um, and, and then, I, you know, and I was working from home. So it's like, and I was already hatching chicks in an incubator while working a full-time job in the office. When I get home, it's like, oh, sweet. Now I can film it, you know? And oh, sweet. You know? I'm home all the time. I can, I when being mentored, I can get little like bottle babies and I can feed them every four hours on the hour. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. And, and in God, you know, in college we were able to do that when we got those baby pigs, when we got a bunch of baby kittens that were, you know, just ferals, you know, we, we were able to feed them on the schedule that we needed to, which is like every four hours, even through the night. Um, but you can't really do that when you're in the office. Right. That uh, the COVID thing was a big push for eh, like home-based stuff, right? Uh, like the channels and the content that that are uniquely home type. And I think of uh, a guy who I may have mentioned before on the podcast. Uh, he has a channel, Australian guy. His channel is Self Sufficient Me. He's uh, retired uh, from the military in Australia and got into kind of you know small scale farming that like that in between stage of like gardening to sustainable farming um and he had a good channel i met him in australia with uh, some of the changer studios guys uh and uh it, it was it was cool he had, a, he had a nice channel but covid hits and it exploded when i met him he probably had like 75,000 subs that's good uh i just looked a, a few minutes ago uh, to see and he's got 1. 2 million now. Well, all of a sudden people wanted to grow stuff at home. Uh, they wanted to, uh, they wanted to take advantage of being housebound. And whereas not everybody can, can probably begin bottle feeding kangaroos. They sure planted a garden. Uh, and that was cool to see that type of content, just get this weird boost that nobody could have predicted or planned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, in farming, and I kept my eyes on it, you know, and I, I was an avid fisherman. And when I say avid, I mean, I caught everything in, in freshwater in, in the U.S. And, um, and I remember seeing the, the rise and fall of the fishing YouTube kind of genre. I don't know if any of you guys are into that or, but, but there's, you know, there's a few first movers and everybody climbs to the top. You know, those guys start blowing up. Everybody starts watching fishing videos. And then all these other people start, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. I can just slap GoPro on and go fishing. I do that all the time anyways. You know, or I'm better at fishing than this guy. I might as well just start filming. So a lot of people start doing that. But when they, when new people enter, the guys at the top get bigger, right? Um, and, and it was very fast. And then people stopped watching it because nobody wants to see someone catch a bass 
the same cut type of bass, like a third, three, you know, people do, but you know, uh, they stay for the personality, I suppose. And with, with farming, I realized the same thing was happening, especially with COVID because everybody wants to move out of the city. People, people realized, oh man, I, I hate being stuck in this, you know, in the city. I hate being able to go walk around. I hate not having fresh air. Um, you know, so what happened was, you know, everybody wanted to learn, okay, how do you, ra- how do you raise chickens? How do you survive out in the country? You know, um, how easy is that to do? Can you do it? And then all of these farming YouTubers, you know, Justin Rhodes, uh, there's a guy named Goldshop Farm. There's a guy named White House on the Hill. They all just started uh, growing in views a lot. And um, all these other farmers were like, we farm for a living. We should just be filming our stuff. Look at these guys over here. They're filming. And then they're, they're making more money filming than farming. And some people By were, mile, yeah. and, and if they're not, they're pay, at least paying for the price of feed for their animals. And that was always something that I just thought, okay, that's, you know, at the very least, uh, this could be something that if done right, can cover the cost of the rescue or cover the cost of just the feed. Um, and, you know, praise God, we've, we've done that uh, at this point. And that's got to add up for you because you have so many different types of animals. I mean, having a bunch of animals means having all these different types of food, all different yeah. types of, uh, you know, bedding and just, they all have different needs. Uh, and I imagine medically it's very different too. So that's got to add up as opposed to if you just had like the chicken ranch. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, you know, at the end of the day, it's a big part of the game is is trying to minimize cost, right? See what you can do, reach out to your local grocery stores and get scraps, all that kind of stuff, you know, reach out to breweries and get their spent barley, mm-hmm. all, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. And that's why people are so into the YouTube and stuff. But, um, but it definitely adds up. But at the same time, you know, there's definitely a big thing I've learned, especially with having a smaller area is you need to know limitations, right? It's very easy to get a bunch of different animals and want to keep these animals and, you know, and get attached to them and not rehome them or, or, you know, it's easy to, you know, whenever the right answer is to euthanize, it's easy to be like, okay, just one more, one more method, one more this, you know, and with wildlife rehab, it's like one more surgery, let's bring it back to the vet, you know? Um, so things can get expensive, but also I think that's just a part of like maturing and knowing your limitations. What is the supermarket scrap situation? Cause I imagine if, if supermarkets hand out scraps that there would be a lot of people in the market for those scraps. How does that work? It just depends. Uh, it's funny in the city, it's really hard to find. It's not hard to find, uh, folks like, like HEB I'm trying to think, uh, you know, Kroger, right? Everybody knows Kroger, I think maybe not. Uh, they, you know, typically farmers will partner with them and they can get all their scrap foods uh, and they do it for free. They'll pick it up for free. They won't buy it, buy it because they're going to have to pay somebody to take it away anyways. Um, so time the produce goes bad, which is often, you know, these farmers will come with their trucks, they'll fill up. And then, you know, if you got pigs, chickens, or if you just have a big compost pile that you're working, you know, the, which is all good food for chickens. Uh, you can pay pennies a day for your chickens if you have thousands of birds. Um, and, you know, I, I just remember seeing videos of people doing that. And I remember seeing folks like Polyface Farm. If you guys are interested, you can look that yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, incredible, incredible ways of sustainably raising agriculture in a way that loves the animals. Um, you know, you, know you, don't, you don't have to be a vegan to love the animals, right? Um, you can still, you can, be, you can be a farm and you don't have to factory farm. 
you know, if you want to be, if you want to make money and if you want to do it right. So very cool. Yeah. I think on a, on a macro level, all of this stuff is really interesting to me because I've noticed, I don't know when it started, but this touch grass meme, I see all the time now. And that wasn't a thing like a year ago. I feel like that's really cropped up in the last like three to six months, this idea of like, go touch grass. And and I got to say, like between Matt and I, the conversations that that we've had over the past, uh, which, which aren't a, a great departure from the conversations we've had prior, but the, but but Matt, you gotta admit there has been like an amplification of our of our personal interests in just getting outside and like yeah. mowing the lawn is great. Yeah. Like you, uh, Matt, please tell everybody about the tree stump grinder. That's like oh. the holy grail on your list oh. of, of of life achievements at this point. Yeah. Uh, Woodland, I forget the second part of their name. The model is WG24, though. This is like a, a 20, maybe 24 inch wheel that uh hooks on the uh the PTO of a tractor. The PTO of a tractor is kind of the like transferring power to to equipment. So you'll hook something on and it will run off the tractor. Uh, in this huge grinding wheel just eviscerates stumps. Um, I will probably have. 60 to 70 stumps that need grinding at that point it's not practical to pay somebody to do it because you will spend as much money on that as you will buying the stump grinder and just plain having it um but yeah I, i've talked to kevin f- for months now and people in the discord i talk about this all the time about um about nut trees about uh cleaning cleaning up a formerly working farm it's been many many decades uh but it can work again um i'm home all the time anyway because youtube stuff like you know i I don't have to go into an office uh so i've been working on it for years but uh at a point it becomes it, it just ratchets up right into now is the time to to give a serious effort toward this and i don't know uh how much covid had that uh, push for me. I know it has for other people. I was complaining in discord the other day, you know, like six people will walk by my house in a day. Now it's, it's unbearable that six people will walk by five or six. I used to have no problem at all. Uh, uh, just going outside never saying a soul. Now I see people because they're doing what Ben said. Uh, they, you know, they bought land, got out of uh, New York city, uh, they hang out and they, they really enjoy it up here. And some of them have little tiny hobby farms. Uh, some have large operations. Uh, the guy down the road is pretty serious about cattle at this point. Um, yeah. It's awesome to see. It's really nice. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a giant shift in priorities and, and a whole lot of people deciding that, yeah, they, they do want to touch grass. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder if we're seeing some kind of, end of the terminally online thing (laughs) to to some degree like to some degree to some noticeable quantitative degree where um i mean i've just noticed it amongst my fellow youtube friends a lot of people who just aren't just don't post anymore anything like like nakey jakey where's that dude what is he doing i have no idea he's not online he's not posting anything um nerd city he hasn't made a video in a, a year soon soon um, it'll be out soon 
Yeah. But no, yeah, anyway. but I'm just saying there's a list. Like I, I have a mental checklist of people who, who were terminally online and were po- posting and, and churning out content <laughs> that are just doing other stuff. Now they're just doing other things and, and unhopefully happier. I, I would yeah. imagine uh, for sure. it. I'm sure they are, you know, well, you know, you look at, you look at past presidents and you look at other wealthy, you know, successful people and what do they do when they retire? You know, they either go to a beach house, which gets old, you get tired of going to the beach every day and then, or they get a farm and people start doing that because there's all kinds of projects you can do on a farm, all kinds of hobbies. And it's, you know, and like I said, I think there's something in humanity that, that is ingrained that is, you know, be in nature. Be, be outside be alone at times because it's very important and and by be alone i mean be away from a screen you know be be really alone and um and uh and take care of animals i do think there's something in every person that is natural that is that is telling us to to be with some way too um but i dubs you know that guy stopped posting and he got a bunch of land he got some area with a bunch of space um you know george bush when he was done, he was like, all right, I'm ranching in Texas. Um, and then a lot of these guys in doing what I did, you know, cause a part of what I did in was, um, you know, rescue, but also farming. Right. So, and then when I started learning about these things, I was like, what, you can get emus. I was like, what, there's an ostrich. <laughs> and there's a dude was selling an ostrich chicken out of curled, you know, curled toes. And that's how I first learned about them. And the dude was giving away for free, basically. And I went up and grabbed it. And then I correct. I looked it up. I read some research on it, like primary literature on ratite farming. Um, and uh, my brother's a doctor. So I reached out to him and I was like, bro, what do you think of this? And he's like, bro, I don't know. But most vets would say the same thing. You go to any vet that's used to working on dogs and cats. And they're going to be like, dude, I don't know what it is. And at the end of the day, this, you know, this will trigger a lot of people again. I think a lot of vets, though, are a lot like you know, you, you got to go to a lot of school, right? It's very, you, there's a lot they learn. And I respect that as someone who was going to do medical stuff. But, um, you know, vets are often like mechanics. You have your honest ones, and then you have the ones that'll lie to you and make a ton of money. And then you have the ones that will charge you a ton for literally nothing, or they'll do things, you know, they'll, they'll do the stool test, even though you didn't need to do the stool test or all this other stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. they'll, or they'll, like, yeah, yeah. Well, they'll, you'll bring it in. They'll say, oh, I have no idea what's wrong with your cat or dog. Um, when you can look these things up online or you can get a second opinion very easily. Um, it, now, I'm not saying people shouldn't take their animals to vet, obviously. Right. Um, but, but what I am saying is I realized that like it, and also there's no there's nothing in the law that says that you can't, you know, vaccinate your own animals. You can't uh you know deworm and do all these other things right or even neuter your own animals um deworming and neutering your own kids that's bad that's, that's illegal just, don't do that that is yes that's definitely maybe maybe in a few <laughs> that'll be realized but but uh, wait how can you get pet vac- vaccinations as a non-licensed person no you can't do rabies there's a few that you can't do uh okay. but you can you can do everything else you know um on from tractor supply if you go or even walmart people don't know this if you just go to walmart you, there's sometimes walmart but at tractor supply there's a there's a fridge in the back and you can literally get the syringes and everything um i did wow, that barrel hog yeah uh save a lot of you go to the website go to tractor supply and join the neighbors club they actually 
they give you a free trailer rental every quarter if you're like one of the elite members. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't know that, yeah, you get a trailer every quarter from them. That's insane. I Check always, out the benefits. It's good. Yeah. Uh, they went under fire recently because they, you know, they're using those chick brooders that everyone on YouTube was just crapping on. Um, what are they? I don't think those were actually killing as many chicks as people thought compared to their typical system. Um, but can you uh, describe the process for making a chicken out of an egg? Yeah. <laughs> for, for people who haven't seen it done. <laughs> I realize that too. A lot of people just don't, don't I take that for granted too, because I didn't know how to do any of this stuff prior to two years ago. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, at the end of the day, you just have an incubator, 99 degrees, keeps them in a consistent temperature and humidity, and then it turns them, uh, automatically. And after 21 days, 23 days, the, the eggs will hatch. Uh, then you put them in a brooder, and uh, which is just a tub with wood chips at the bottom and a heat lamp. It raised about a foot high. And then you have food and water for them. Um, that's really it. At that point, they are fine on their own. You don't need to go there every day and feed them. You don't need to do anything. Honestly, you can, it's a once a week kind of thing. It's as, it's, as in, it's as intentional as you want it to be, too, depending on how nice you want your chicks to be. You can have chicks that are like dogs and pets, you know, that love you, that'll hop up on your shoulder. And that's what we did at school. Um, or you can have, you know, just a bunch of birds. And uh, it's really that simple. But uh, that, that's how they go from the egg to, you know, to the, to the chicken. But, uh, but yeah. Wait, what's, so what's the controversy with the thing at Tractor Supply with the brooder? They have these tower incubators that commercially, like commercial um, farming operations use, right? So it's just different layers of like stacked vertically and you can, and there's windows so you can look in and see it, but they didn't have some of them. Anytime there'd be a malfunction on a machine, you know, you can tell because there will just be dead birds laying in there. And, uh, and if, if they don't, if the people don't clear it out in time, you know, the public, the general public is walking through there and the kids are looking, Oh mom, look at the chicks. And all of a sudden there's like three dead ones in the corner, you know, anytime that happens, you can bet someone films it and you can bet someone posts it online. And actually a good friend of mine made a whole video just kind of like exposing them. And, uh, but anytime I ever went and saw their machines, I never saw any dead ones, but, uh, but they quickly changed their, that strategy. (laughs) So (laughs) some, some sales rep for that company lost a lot of money. Um, and then some purchasing person, probably lost their job but yep um i want to go back i wrote this down so i wouldn't forget it hunting ostriches people are hunting ostriches in texas you you said believe it or not there are wild are these is this like a hunting farm like a game farm or they're wild ostriches running around texas like i'm really confused by that (laughs) so if you type in Ostrich hunting, Texas, or Rhea hunting, Texas. Uh, what you have is a ton of different random places around the state uh, that are for exotic, quote unquote, exotic hunts, uh, right? So you could pay 2000 bucks to go to Africa on a plane ticket, probably round trip. Then you pay a bunch more, probably not a lot, though, depending on where you're at, to stay there, shoot the animals, and get them sent back or whatever. Um, pay a lot more to get them sent back. Or you could go to Texas. <laughs> And they have these large high fence ranches all over the place down here, uh, like Ox Hunting Ranch. They have ostriches, Lone Star Ranch, Lazy Case CK Ranch, Squaw Mountain Ranch, uh, Y.O. Ranch Headquarters. Y.O. Ranch is pretty big. A buddy of mine is down there. And don't get me wrong. I'm not like anti-hunting at all. Like I grew up hunting. I've 
hunted just about everything that we had in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, but, uh, after a while and my buddy would w- try to get me going, uh, for, uh, exotic hunting too. And I'd go out on these things. I had a shot at a fallow deer and I just didn't take it because it wasn't a clean shot and I didn't want to risk, you know, maiming the animal. And, but after that, you know, this was before everything, this was when I just got into Texas. Um, cause it's like, Oh, I'm in Texas now. I want to hunt the wild boar they have here and all this other stuff. Then I realized like, wow, you could pay $4,000 to hunt a fallow deer, or you could pay $400 for a fallow deer online, you know, or for, or, or you can get a bottle baby for free because you, they don't want bottle babies for the most part. If you have a male bottle baby, nobody wants to hunt a, a, a deer that's going to walk up and eat out of your hand. It's been bottle fed. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, so at that point, these guys just kind of don't care. And sometimes they'll give them away. Same kind of premise with the with the kangaroo. Um, the kangaroo is also kind of like a here you go, bro, kind of thing. Right. Because like, you know, I'm sure they have a line of people that are like, you know, their nieces and nephews that are like, if you ever have one, you know, um, so it was that kind of thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, the baby would have been eaten or he would have been shot. Um, Cause that's, I'd say 90% of their clientele. Um, and yeah, they're all over the place. I see six or seven different markers here in Texas. It's mostly a lot of it's West Texas too. And then there's a lot of private hunting operations where people will look up online or they'll post ads on Craigslist. It's like ostrich hunting, something like that. I don't see the appeal of it. I also don't see the appeal of hunting zebras and, uh, and believe it or not, I think some people do giraffes here. The thing is though, it's like, these animals are worth a lot of money. Like a friend of mine who is who made a lot of money, who I told you about, I, I meet these people whenever I used to help my friend Ning sell chicks. Um, and, and I'd help her out with doing it to, to folks that are going to keep them just on their homesteads or they had their own private zoos because that's a big thing here too. And um, I met this one guy and he was a g- really cool old Greek man, very, very dank. Um, <laughs> he literally... <laughs> He made millions just with clothing companies, very large clothing companies in LA, Chicago, and New York. And he, but he lives in stays in East Texas where, where he's got a bunch of land and he owns a giraffe and he owns these other animals. And, you know, and I started to realize like not everyone's like Tiger King, you know, there are some people that have the, actually have a thousand acres and they actually do have the space to have their own private zoo. And they do take care of their giraffe or their, you know, anything like that. It's, which is pretty incredible, but th- those things are, those animals are $50,000, um, you know, and some, you know, it's, it's, it was just kind of crazy to me when I came here and realized that people do all that. Um, so, but, th- but that actually happens here and it's pretty common. I want to jump back to a thing that, that Kevin said about, um, about whether people, you know, really, really want to touch grass and, and, uh, kind of get back to the, get back to the land in a way there's, this always happens. Like this has always happened where there's been like a wave of, of back to the land, but it's so old. It is so, so old. When Kevin was describing this, uh, like the Romans, the Roman ideal was being a farmer and a soldier and a participant in the citizenry. Um, that was, that was the, the homo militaris, the, the ideal Roman man. And, uh, Cincinnatus was, was the real ideal of this. He was farming. He had a small farm. It wasn't some massive operation. He was just a dude with a farm. Um, and, and they elected him dictator to solve a problem or two. Uh, he did that kind of relocation 
reluctantly, and then went back to his farm six months later. It wasn't a Caesar situation where he had power and didn't give it up until he got stabbed. Cincinnatus said, I did my <laughs> job. I'm going back to my farm because that's what men are supposed to do. It was the same with uh, Thomas Jefferson types. You know, Washington married into a big farm, but he had one. And it was first and foremost, these guys have always been farmers and uh, working on and tending some plot of land. Uh, I, I see that now here too, uh, where people have, uh, you know, if, if once they retire, they hit a certain point where they kind of get out of their main job. They just want to kick around on a farm. And I, I wonder how the online stuff is, is going to accelerate that because Kevin's saying, well, is this going to be the end to the terminally online? And then Ben says, but I used online to turn me into this <laughs> use yep. all these amazing resources online i'm like okay i see both of these as being valid and right what's going to happen well uh, the other thing too to, to note is everything online it is gearing at you you know i'm saying every social media is is geared is dead set and very effective at keeping you on their site on their platform um and they don't even like to share with each other they want to keep you right there so to the people that are addicted to YouTube, they will be watching YouTube nonstop all day because YouTube is very, their algorithm is set to show you, oh, you like this? Take a look at this. You know, and you guys know that, obviously. And, um, you know, with Instagram, it's, you know, oh, you like pictures of this? Take a look at this. Um, and TikTok, especially. And everyone's doing reels because it's like even more. We can keep people on our platform nonstop. And they don't even know that the video is changing. They just think, oh, 15 seconds is up. Next video, next video, next video. There's no end in sight. Uh, and you guys probably know how easy it is to just scroll for hours and hours and hours on those things. So I, I think there's an extent where people kind of get tired of that. Um, and but, but at the end of the day, I, I personally don't see people uh, that aren't boomers. No, I'm not even going to say boomers. That aren't millennials and, and older moving out. A, because people don't have money to buy land. People don't have money to yeah. get any, you know, right? It's, it's the yeah. folks that have been working for a long time that are, that are realizing, okay, I'm sick of this. Why am I, why am I paying 1700 a month to live in the city whenever I could have a place in the country and that's way cheaper if I can work from home? You know, that's what it is, I think. Um, I think it's a monetary thing. And I think it's also just people that are my, my parents' age, really, you know, like particularly the folks that are like 50 and up that are like, let's get the heck out of here. And let's get out of suburbia too, because I'm tired of having neighbors. I'm tired of having an HOA. I'm tired of having these people breathe down my neck and tell me that I can't have a shed in my yard. Right. So yeah. I'm going to be gone, you know, and then these other things are just perks to it. Oh, I can have a in Texas. Oh, I can have this pet. I can have these animals and do that. Um, I think that's really what's fueling it the most, more so than some kind of movement. Um, I, I do think, too, that there's things like HGTV that are romanticizing these, these lifestyles and pumping them out to that network. Because that crowd, that 50, those, it's women, right? It's the women. They're, they're the kings. They're the <laughs> men. You know, they're, you know, if your wife wants a farm, you're going to get her a farm. You know, if your wife, if your wife really wants to move out to the country and bugs you and nags you every day, you're going to go out to the country, right? So uh, they're watching HGTV, they're watching Fixer Up or all these other homestead things, and that sells like hotcakes. It's very easy. What they don't realize, though, is, you know, oh, I actually have to fork a bale. 
oh, I actually have to step in some chicken poop. Oh, I have to clean the cows. You know, oh, it's not that easy to do all this stuff. But, you know, it's rewarding and it's better than sitting in a cubicle all day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the little things are brutally hard with even if you if you don't have the farming going on. You mentioned earlier that. Yeah, you've got to bottle feed this this animal every four hours on on the on the dot. Really, um, yeah. that's a thing. That's like you don't have an option to skip. You can't yeah. really pause that and sleep in. No vacations. You need to get a good farm sitter, and you need to be willing to spend a little money. Yep. No. Yeah, and the things you know, some people build like people down the road for me. Somebody just built something. It was really strange because. Uh, the Amish built it and the Amish build fast. Right. And I went, I went to Las Vegas for like eight days and I came back and I had a neighbor. There was no, there was nothing before then. There was no house. I didn't even know that somebody bought the property and <laughs> down the road, all of a sudden there's like a house and a garage that was not there the week before. Yeah. Um, you know, they built straight up, but you know, you're talking about, uh, seeing the renovation shows and all that stuff. All these people want to buy an old thing and, you know, fix it up and, and play with it. Uh, the Beekman boys, I forget, they were on Amazing Race, I think. Uh, they did that in this area. They bought an old farm and now they have like tomato sauce in Target or something. Uh, they've done quite well. Uh, but the little things really bite you all day long. So I wear moccasins around the house all the time because there are so many nails that work their way out of the floor that it's just going to rip the, the hell out of your socks. And if you're not wearing socks, it's going to rip the hell out of your feet. And no matter how many times you pound them back in, there's going to be uh, a little landmine uh, like every uh -oh. 10 feet. And that's just what happens with an old place that you have to fix up. And yeah. I'm okay with that. Some people are okay with that. A lot of people get real tired of it about two or three years in and nothing is convenient Nothing ever works properly. It costs you a ton to make it serviceable. Uh, the the glitter, you know, starts to get a bit dull on that. Yeah, it's the things that aren't on camera too, right? Nobody on HGTV is like five years later. <laughs> it's freaking cold here. There's no there's no insulation, uh, you know, or or oh, you, like you just said. Uh, and the same thing with these farming YouTubers. Uh, Justin Rose does a fantastic job of showing the day in day out. You know, but you, but the, the caveat is those videos don't do as well, you know, t typically, um, those, do, those videos aren't the bangers and the bops. They're not that Kevin has several children in his, in the cave, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, you know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing. And yeah, people don't see what happens off the camera. They don't see me having to euthanize an animal. You know, they don't see me having because I, and at the end of the day, I think there's a certain amount, there's a certain, there are times when that stuff should be shown. There's times that, but you know, I'm not going to go on TikTok where you have a half a second to get the attention of somebody. And in order for it to go viral, you know, it has to do well, right? If you, if a video doesn't do well, you get 60,000 views. If a video does well, it gets more than 3 million for me. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But, but um, I'm not going to show that kind of stuff. And, and I usually now I don't even I lately I haven't even been showing the bandage applications and these other things because there's certain things where it's just like I can't be filming everything. I need to put the camera away and not edit every day. And I'm, so I'm doing this stuff myself and um, and the animals take precedence. Um, and there's a reason why in the videos you've seen, I don't have a ton of bottle babies. It's like, OK, well, now's the busy, busy season for wildlife rehab. I, and, the, and I, I have every 
credential and thing I need for the permit. Um, but we just, we have to get the renovations done. We have to get things set up. We have to get a pole barn out there, at least just to store stuff. You know, we have, there's just so much that needs to be done. We need to get fencing up before we can put the animals out there and we need to have water running to, and, and there's just so much that needs to be done. Um, and that's the stuff that, that's not on camera that people don't see. And, and with the HGTV stuff, all that other things, you know, they don't show you whenever your contract, they don't show you the waiting for the contractors to do stuff. They don't show you the, oh, I can get the, oh yeah, 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 I can get that done January. You know, or, or you know what I mean? Yep. That's mm-hmm. what's not so. And it's as simple as something like uh, with water or electricity, even if you have a really lax zoning thing, and this is. This is tough for international people. So we, we have a significant portion of people who are not in the U.S. And it, it tends to work differently in so many of the other countries in terms of like planning boards and zoning. And it's incredibly variable here in the U.S. So, for example, the town that I live in, which it, it, this is so confusing because my address is one town, but the town that I technically live in is a different town. Uh, the address town will not let you do anything like they don't approve anything ever. Uh, it has to be some like, uh, like officially, uh, vintage project. It's really hard. The town I actually live in, they will let you do pretty much anything Yeah, uh, unless you want to build a water park or something that will like substantially <laughs> affect the environment. Uh, you're good. Uh, but even with total permission like that, Something like extending water or electricity, you've got to get those companies to sign off on it so that your contractor doesn't accidentally cut a line. You know, it doesn't uh, do anything to the water table to screw up your existing well that your house depends on. Um, It just plain takes time. And you see those shows and they're like, well, you know, today we're going to call in the whatever team. Like, yeah, but it took you four or five months to arrange all of these dominoes to fall. It's crazy. And nothing works that way. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's better when you're in the city. And that's kind of the beauty of what the beauty and the worst part of what we're doing in in Waco is, you know, and potentially looking at getting several more acres next door um, or back in uh, if we can, if, if the price is right. Right. But we'll see. Um, But the beauty of that is that you you can work on the grid and you can get on these things. It's not that complicated. The thing that sucks though is everything you do has to be permitted. The city is breathing down your neck nonstop. And that's why I have to do a lot of this stuff myself. I've done foundation work, but I have to like show I'm doing this, you know, because if I don't, I could get a fine or whatever, you know, yeah. and, and I'm going to get insurance. I have to have insurance and all that. So it's, it's not like, uh, and then, you know, I think I can build a shed without a permit, but just to get the barn, I'm going to have to wait 20 some days for somebody's approval. You know, it's terrible. So, and even on something like that, that very well can affect the assessment on the property, which has tax implications. And it's insane. It's, it's really crazy because if you think about like, I, I know I've, I've, you know, spazzed out to Kevin about this before, but you mentioned a shed. Um, a shed is the perfect example of, of the way property taxes work. It doesn't take a whole lot to build a shed. You can fill a pickup truck with the lumber required for it. You can build it yourself. If you go home and burn that pile of wood that you just bought at Home Depot, that's free. You can do that. Nobody cares. If you use your initiative and your skill 
to turn that pile of wood into a shed, your taxes go up and you basically pay a fine on that on that work until you're dead. Yep. <laughs> until until <laughs> it falls down or <laughs> you sell the property. Uh, but it's just an example of everything useful that somebody wants to do has these implications that like in the in the case of property taxes can last 50 60 years. Yep. Yeah and and you know typically a lot of people can get away with these things and it's like Waco, right? It's not it's not like people are breathing down your neck that much, but at the end of the day if I'm going to film it, there's going to be someone. There's going to be someone who's going to be a Karen and who's going to call the city. Just like I have had the game warden here three times and every time I'm what's up? What's up, bro? And I'm not going to say his name, but he, he, in the public health guy who I'm friends with, all these people who I've had to become friends with, where they just text me first now because it's like, yeah, man, it was about Kevin. Um, and I was like, yeah. And then they come here, they walk around, they check out everything. And I feel like they're just coming to check out the animals at, at this point because, you know, and it's what's, what was funny was having, I had Poppy in there, but Poppy's a possum, right? She can come and go and she wants. Right. She, but she's not a technically permitted to be an educational ambassador, but she's also technically in the wild. Right. She comes and goes once. Um, but he said, but yeah, he's like, if you have her in your house or anything like that, you just need a hunting license, which just doesn't make any sense to me at all. What? <laughs> what? You need a hunting license to have a possum in your house? Well, this is so funny. He was super chill about it. Um, and they know these people, they're nice. You know, they're not, they're not Satan right? They want, they want what's best for everything. And, you know, and they're not going around like, Oh, who's got a pet deer that I can kill for fun, you know? But at the end of the day, if, if an animal is too friendly and it's a nuisance, then it has to be euthanized because it can, there's, 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 there's issues with that, right? That's what they say. And, but with Poppy, you know, Poppy will run away from you if you're not me for one. Uh, and for two, uh, she, she comes and goes. So, but if you don't have a license, you need a license or, or a trapping license to have one in your possession because apparently they're fur bearers. And one time one came by and he was going to give me a, because uh, I didn't have my fur bearing license, he was going to give me a, a ticket. And he was just like, oh man, just, just put it outside. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, well, I, but at the, at the time I didn't know for sure because there's really nothing you can look and there's nothing really that says anything specific about that. Um but I just said, I was like, bro, nobody's going after the coveted possum pelt. Like they're, they're not like a, fur, you know what I mean? I didn't consider them to be a fur bearing animal, but, uh, but I suppose they were, you need a license to trap them. Um, unless they're an animal and then you can't have them in your possession for long. But he said, as long as you have a trapping permit, you could do whatever you want with it. You can have her in your house or whatever, but dead or alive, but you, you need to have the permit. Um, but I, I didn't need it either way because she's not in my house. Right. Um, but if she is in a video that I went out and just got the (laughs) thing just in case, um, it's funny. I will say that they are not all as friendly. Um, no. And, and I know that, you know, you can't throw any game wardens under the bus. I can, uh, with the DC, for example, uh, department of environment and conservation or whatever. I, I think the name switched in the last few years in uh, the state of New York, but sometimes they're real aggressive. And, uh, uh you were talking about trapping licenses. Uh, we had, we had a, a bobcat fur that was being stretched and you know, that's usually not something people have in their yard and, and you get somebody driving by who kind of needs something to do. Well, that's fine. You come and check licenses and whatever. But this guy showed up on the front porch decked out like, uh, like SWAT team. 
like everything except the the face mask and shield. But he had the entire mouth. Yeah, like Master Chief. <laughs> he was Master Chief with his helmet off. Yeah. And it was a strange thing. I, I thought it was like ATF or something stopping by to ask directions. I'm like, oh, somebody's gonna get busted. No, it was it was essentially a game warden, which 50 years ago used to be uh basically a, a park ranger with a gun, like the man in the yellow hat and curious George who was armed. Barney uh, Barney Fife. <laughs> Barney Fife. Yeah. It just, you know, they made sure people were licensed and that everything was on the up and up. And that's cool. But uh yeah, this guy like pushed into the house uh through through my dad, who who's not a young guy. Uh mm-hmm. it was really, really strange. And you have to, you know, it turned out fine because all the, the licenses were fine. Just it was completely normal you know nothing had been done wrong at all do they have uh, the legal authority to do that to enter your home depends is that uh, like a fourth amendment violation no uh because there's some clause that says that if it's you know they if they suspect that you have any kind of wildlife in your possession or anything they can go on your property they can climb your fence they can cut bolts they can break into your house if they really want what? to yeah but it's exactly it, yeah it's a nightmare of paperwork for them if they do do it though. And that's why no one's ever climbed my eight foot privacy fence. <laughs> it's also why I got an eight foot privacy fence. But, but at the same time, like, let's say he thought that there was like an alligator back here, some protected animal. He had the right, he definitely could get a ladder, climb up, go in and grab it. Um, and I'd get a big old fine. Um, you know, that's how it goes. They, but they have a lot of power. And so, so w- what happened with the with your dad and the bobcat, uh, Matt? Oh, uh, it actually was it actually was a, a combination of my brothers and uh, my nephews. Uh, they checked out the licenses um, and and kind of were on their way. Like there was nothing that could be done. But just like Ben was saying, the the bar is so incredibly low. All they have to do is suspect that there's an issue. Whether it's we suspect that like guns in the home are stored improperly. Like yeah. whatever weird thing made them suspect that is enough grounds for it to be okay. Anything with animals, it's the same thing. Any, any uh, suspicion is enough. They do have quite a bit to do. It's got to be legitimate and that keeps them, excuse me, from doing it willy nilly. But if you get the wrong guy on the wrong day, uh, then you might have a problem. And it's incredibly important to be licensed in every way that, that you need to be, uh, so that you just don't run into any problems. I don't know, you know, anything about Texas, let alone, uh, Waco, uh, but everywhere, everywhere's got plenty of these rules for the land use, the proximity of animals. Who knows? It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, They're, they're, uh, they're more strict about the higher level things with the animals here. Uh, and they have more power, but they're less strict with lower level things to a surprising degree. Um, but yeah, man, it's crazy, especially up in Colorado, especially California, Northwest. They're ridiculous up there. You can't spit at a moose without getting a fine. <laughs> fine. Um, but yeah. What is, what is with the, the proximity? Like how, how do you make sure, for example, that, you know, Kevin, the angry ostrich doesn't attack, uh, mm-hmm. your baby kangaroo. Like what do you do to keep the animals separate enough so they're safe? First, you keep a really close eye on him. When Kevin was new here, it's like, okay, is he actually going to be a threat to these other animals? With the baby, the baby's very small, so he doesn't care for the baby. Uh, he doesn't care for any of the birds, which is surprising. 
Um, he's never tried to attack any other animals. And then him and Poggers, who's my dog, has a really, really interesting relationship. Um, Poggers, who I've been very, after a long time, no more deaths with Poggers. He used to kill ducks. He used to kill our quail. Um, and now he has not hurt a fly in months, long time. Uh, but Kevin will come in and try and eat his dog food sometimes. And then he'll snap at him and bark. And Parker's usually only barks if somebody's outside the gate trying to get in or if, um, if he's fighting with Kevin and, but they'll bite it. They'll like, he'll just go, but he won't actually come into contact with Poggers. It's kind of like a, Hey, I'm just, you know, and if Poggers is too close to him or to Karen, he'll just kind of gently get him in the back, kind of just like a thump, but it's never anything painful. He'll never try and kick him or anything like that, which is really, really important. And the reason why I keep them together is because I know there's going to be a time in Waco where, um, where, you know, I won't be able to just look out my window and make sure everyone's safe. Right. And having poggers was a really strategic move. Um, because poggers is going to be very good friends with the Rhea and the Rhea are not going to see him as a threat and they're actually going to come to him for protection. So, and we're going to have more, um, I, there's a handful of other adult rescues that, um, that a buddy of mine has and, and ones that we've gotten that have gone to a, a branch campus of ours. We have a 300 acre network of different folks, um, that are taking care of stuff. And whenever we get the place set up in Waco, we'll, we'll have some of them back there. Um, once we get the fencing up and poggers, will be able to be out there and protect them from coyotes just by pooping his presence alone will scare away the coyotes. But, um, but you know, if, if anything comes up, uh, I'll be able to trust them to be together and not fight. Mm-hmm. What kind of dog is Poggers? He's a great Dane, great Pyrenees mix. Um, and it, the great Pyrenees kind of w- wins out in his personality, which is what we want. How much does he weigh? Uh, he's like a hundred some pounds. I haven't weighed him in a while. Uh, he's a big boy. Um, but, uh, I got him for 50 something dollars. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> which is real cheap for, I don't know, but Poggers wasn't necessarily a rescue. He was, you know, he was just a dog that somebody I knew had puppies. And I just said, Hey, yeah, if he's, if he's great Pyrenees, if he can protect the animals, awesome. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm imagining kind of like a, a a babe with the sheep, babe, the pig (laughs) with the sheep situation. (laughs) It's Poggers, the dog uh, herding ostriches. (laughs) Yeah. Have you have you seen that movie, Ben? Babe? It's no, a, it's I think old I, at this point. It's been forever. Yeah. It's been a long time. <laughs> but, but the ostriches don't need any protection. The Rhea do. Uh those Oh, okay. An ostrich can eviscerate a coyote with a kick. Coyotes do not mess with ostriches. Some panthers do if you're in Florida or something like that, but you're not gonna have that kind of issue in Texas. Okay. Uh, everything eats the babies. Skunks. Mm. Yeah, literally everything will eat the babies. Oh. Is there is there an animal you wouldn't take or a handful of them that you would say no to for reasons from uh, preference to practicality that you wouldn't be able to? So not legal. So like, let's say I have every permit you can think of, yeah. like all logical permits, all the space and all the, is that what you're? Um, yeah. Yeah. That you would just kind of have to decline. I, w- I wouldn't take any tigers. I wouldn't take any kind of big cats, anything like that. Um, I'd take any of the mediums, you know, like the floppas, the, you know, the, the, uh, you know what floppa is? No, floppa, I don't. 
that Caracal cat flop. You never seen the memes, Floppa? Oh, with the big ears? Bro, Floppa. Yeah. yeah oh. Um, you know, I but those big ones, they're unpredictable. <laughs> you can't really keep them with other animals. You need a ton of space. And, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much space you give them, it's not going to be enough. Those things need like, I forget how much in the wild, miles and miles of space. So I don't think I would do those just just out of, you know, and then maybe a cassowary. Mm. I don't think they're cassowary. They, they will literally disembowel you with ease. And um, <laughs> and I, I've even been offered them like babies. And even when they're babies, they, they're mean, you know, but they're also harder. What to is that? Is, it a, is that a big cat too? What is a cassowary? Oh. Oh no, a cassowary is so there there's four different types of ratites. There's the rhea that which I, what I have, uh the emu, and then there's the ostrich. Uh and they're from all of them they're from South America, Australia and Africa respectively. Uh and then there's the cassowary which is from Southeast Asia. And the cassowary is this is you've probably seen it at the zoo. It's just like a big two-legged bird, can't fly, um and it's got kind of like a horn on its head. Um and it's, a, it's in the episode chat. This is a dinosaur, basically. <laughs> and I respect that animal enough to to be able to to know my limitations, and that's that's a limitation. I think you can have a male safely. The females, especially though, you know, they will rip you up. But I've talked to a guy who runs the Florida, uh, you know, cassowary conservation project down there, uh, where they're studying it because they are uh, farming wise, they're doing pretty well. But it, they used to be endangered for a bit, apparently. Um, but then their breeding program helped. Um, but yeah, they, they'll kill you. They got a nine-inch claw on their one foot, and they will literally just tear you up. Uh, unlike, you know, I get bit by the Rhea. He doesn't try to kick me because he's an idiot. He knows if he if he doesn't know that if he could just kick me, it would hurt the crap out of me. Uh, the ostrich will kick you and disembowel you, and you might die. But you could still go to the hospital, right? You know? Um, an emu could send you to the hospital, but you probably wouldn't die. A cassowary would, would like intentionally open you up. Um, God, like velociraptor. I was going to say it's a velociraptor. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) you can't just use like normal fencing for they'll, they will kick the fence all day. They, they're very, very aggressive. You know, Kevin, if he sees me, he'll sometimes like kind of bite at the fence just to show he's usually just to be a big guy, but cassowary will rip through a fence and kick it down and come after you and your kids. And oh then my we, God. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough, man. Uh, the dude in Florida actually just died from his cassowary and then it went up for auction. What? what? Who is purchasing that murder? Bird? I wonder the guy that bought it. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how much he paid. And it, like, you know, the auctioneers want to make something sound as, as, you know, good as possible to get the best price. Do you just come clean and be like, this is, this is the most badass cassowary. He's fresh off a murder. (laughs) Uh, Does that drive the price up or down? I don't know. No. And anyone that's going to get a cassowary knows, you know, it's funny, the guy that I was talking to about it, because one of my friends was asking about it. And I, I, out of just curiosity, I was like, all right, I'll call this guy. And uh, he was so passionate about the animals. We spent 30 minutes just talking my ear off about their, what they do, their, their diet and everything. And they, they can't eat pelted food. You can't just like buy cassowary food. Like you can buy ostrich, these other things, you know, you got to give them fresh fruit. <laughs> they only eat fruit. That gets very, very expensive. So you don't get that animal unless you're 
wealthy um, and and just have a real deep appreciation for the animal. Um, if they only eat fruit, why are they murdering everyone? <laughs> because they're not eating you, right? Man, it's aggression. It's the same thing with Kevin. Kevin eats grass, and sometimes he'll eat little animals. But um, you know, it's it's it, it. They don't think, right? Like the baby, like my kangaroo, they don't think. Like sheep, they don't think. They just they just eat. And you know, there's some they're just like that. And when they see you, they see aggression. They see oh, competition. Fight, you know, get away from my eggs, get away from my ter- this is my territory. This whole area is my territory. If you even stepping in, it's literally just like a mob that has a that has it's like an it, enemy AI in a video game that has a certain distance. And if you step into that distance, it'll come for you. It's like program. <laughs> I don't think it's more than that necessarily. But it's crazy. And I do I do want to ask about names. How do you how do you wind up with names like the baby for kangaroo or just simply calling uh Araya Kevin. We used to call it the baby doorknob because I would just ask people on TikTok, like, what should we name this little guy? What should we you know? And um and I obviously don't name the wildlife typically because they're gonna go back to the wild. But I did back on TikTok. Um and I people the comments. Top comment usually gets it. Whatever the funniest comment is usually gets it. Um and then after a while, you know, I guess the meme came up kept commenting is that debate that thing looks like the baby because people you couldn't post a video on tiktok without somebody commenting hey you look kind of like the baby and i also would comment that on other people's tiktoks so after a while i realized yeah i should just name him the baby in the meme how did what is what what scale do you eventually want to have for this yeah that's how big do you want the rescue ranch to get that that's been the question of of the the century right um at the end of the day what we're trying to do, you know, this whole stuff of filming with me and Kevin having little bouts and things like that, right? That's, that's honestly, that's a moneymaker. That's me fundraising. That is me trying to get money so that we can uh, set stuff up in Waco so that we can get things going, right? Because the content where it's like, hey guys, this is a northern fox squirrel and this is how you, you know, this is how you bottle feed it. This, you know, because that just typically doesn't do as well as a giant bird attacking you when you have a ride shield. Um, but <laughs> the reason why I say that to answer your question is, um, you know, once we have enough funding, the goal is let's get a fully fun- fledged facility for wildlife rehab, um, in one area of the property. Right. So, so that way, and there's nothing in between Austin and Dallas and it, the, I've called every extermination company in Waco and what they do with the, all the babies they get, which is hundreds is they just euthanize the babies when they get them from extermination situations and, and, um, you know. Um, so, so there's certainly a need, um, and I would need to hire people. I'd need to get, but the reason why Waco is because we're very, very close to Baylor's campus. We can create an educational program with the students where they come out and volunteer. And then just for the, for the farm sanctuary side of things, which we haven't really even discussed yet, but that's, that is, that is farm animals that are not being eaten, right? They are taken from the, the eaten kind of the eating kind of side thing, oh, we're going to eat this, or, or the injured horse that was going to get put down, or the injured pig that was just going to get put down or eaten, um, you know, it'll come to us instead. But instead, what the twist I take on is like, well, these ostriches are considered livestock, so let's get a sanctuary for them going. So any of the ostriches that are going to be eaten, and there's actually the biggest ostrich farm in the world for meat, is 40 minutes outside of Waco. Um, hmm. and, and, and we get those animals to, a, to an extent where we have enough, right? 
Um, and then we get educational programs out. So I want to partner with the schools. We're already partnered with Young Life to where the kids will come in. Um, and um, we do, we, we have events, but then also, you know, and that's a whole other nightmare of permitting, a whole other, all this stuff, liability, you know, but, but we want to, you know, more than anything, I want to be able to continue to do what we're doing, which is teaching kids, inspiring the youth, inspiring folks to, to come out and see this and, and planting that seed in their brains when they're young, that you don't have to chase that. You don't have to get into the rat race. You know, you don't have to chase the, your, your golden parachute or your golden watch or whatever and, and make all this money and do these things. You know, there is contentment in this kind of lifestyle. You can do sustainable farming and all this other stuff, right? So the goal is to kind of do all of those three things, you know, the rescue for wildlife, which is its own permanent big thing on this side. And then um, uh, the, the farm sanctuary on this side. Um, and then also the educational and sustainable. Hey, you, you also can do this. And this is how you raise chickens. And this is how you do this stuff. Um, you know, I, I would like to show people that that rescue and, you know, and sanctuary and um, actual farming where you do harvest the animals or at least uh, things from the animals like the eggs, like, you know, um, can go hand in hand. And I think they personally, I personally think that they should. Right. And that's where a lot of vegans will hop off the boat. But, um, but at the end of the day, you know, and I, I want to start eventually a podcast where, where it is it is it, folks that are passionate about animals, like friends like David Orr and, you know, the, this, the coyote Peterson, folks like that, where you can have conversations of like, okay, are you a vegan? Why, why not? You know, what is your philosophy on these? You know, what, what's, what is our, uh, responsibility with animals as humans, you know, how questions like that. Um, but yeah, so that's the scope. That's, that's at least what the vision and the dream is now. Um, five years, I'd like to take it internationally and, and, uh, move to Indonesia and, uh, because animals are a lot more mistreated there than they are here, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, people do eat dogs and people are also still, uh, slaves in a lot of countries. Um, so I think the taking things there would be a lot cheaper and uh, it's something I have a heart for as well, but uh, that's a big answer. <laughs> yeah, a little ambitious, a little ambitious, <laughs> a little ambitious, but very doable. And I think all of this was ambitious from the get go. It's actually a lot cheaper though to live in Indonesia and do all that and with our connections. <laughs> very difficult, but um, yeah, but it, it can happen. Mm -hmm. Can I can I say real quick a total total non sequitur going back earlier to your comment about the beach being a boring place to retire. Mm -hmm. oh. I, I don't like the beach at all. I'm immediately bored at the beach. I do not understand the appeal of going to the beach. It's extremely hot. I think Bill Hicks once said it's where dirt meets water. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I don't get the beach. What, what is to do there? I feel like these people work really hard. They climb up the corporate ladder. They get that they get their pension, they get all this stuff, you know, and then it's like, what do I do next? Wife wants to buy a beach house. Sounds pretty fun. Let's go to Florida for the winters. Then they get it. But then they're there and realize there's not much to do here. I've caught all the fish species I can catch. I've sat here on this beach for a long time. You know, I'm getting now things are starting to kind of suck. That that restaurant where I really like the ice cream, starting to suck now. Uh the, it's the it's yeah. extremely windy. It's always windy at the beach, like horribly, uncomfortably windy. It gets really cold at night. It, <laughs> Kevin, the beach blows. 
would you would you say that Kevin that the sand at the beach is coarse and rough and irritating <laughs> and gets everywhere? Would, would you rather be somewhere soft and smooth? Sand is horrible. It's like, oh great, now I have sand everywhere and like in my food. Uh, and have you ever eaten at the beach? Well, you've eaten a lot of sand and it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you sound like Anakin, man. But I agree with that. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love the beach, but I wouldn't want to live there, you know, necessarily. Um, what I, don't if wanna, have- I don't even want to go there. That's what I'm saying. Like, if, if, if someone says, hey, let's go to the beach, um, I would rather not. That I'm taking a hard, I'm, dry, I'm drawing a line in the terrible sand of the beach. And I'm on the other side of it. And I'm just saying, you know, if you love the beach, God bless you. And I hope that you, you know, have a great time there. But not, it's not for me. I don't get it. <laughs> I'm just, and salt water is terrible. Like going into the ocean and then you get salt water in your mouth and in your nose. And that's not enjoyable. It's awful. Yeah. And then there's the exfoliator. Not either. There might not be mosquitoes at the beach, but there's no seams. And those are worse. Where you're at. <laughs> uh, what are the they? Little sand fleas and stuff. You know what a no seam is? Yeah, dude, they're way worse than mosquitoes. Though they're little, little guys. Oh, they come out at night in Florida, and you're just dead. You ever been to like Miami or the Keys? Oh, no. dude, no. But but I did go camping on on a beach once, thinking like, oh, this will be like really great. Go camping on the beach. How like beautiful and serene and romantic. No, it was horrible. Again, extremely windy. Trying to sleep on sand is impossible. It's so lumpy. Like you'd think in some regard, it would be this like Tempur-Pedic experience where it's like molding to your body. But guess what? No. Instead, it's just this like this, this ridiculously uncomfortable squand that you're trying to sleep on and you won't, you won't get to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's my beach rant. And it's taken 90 episodes to get there, but, but Farmer Ben brought it out. (laughs) Well, I think we can combine all the rants into a couple good rules for life, which are, uh, do not live near water, live inland, live away from everybody and, uh, and have an assortment of animals. I think those three things will get you 90% of, of, uh, how far you need to go for joy and happiness and meaning. I agree. I'd agree. Uh, we've got we've got some questions piled up. Do you want to do you want to yep. switch over yep. to those, Kevin? Yeah, I'm yeah, that'd be great. I'm done. I'm done with my beach rant for now. You guys ever been to Austin? I have. Yeah, I really liked it there. Got to try uh, Austin East Siders. They're great. Very good. We we should start a a list of the create unknown guests who are in Austin because I think it's getting pretty uh, long. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, even going back, like you know, you're talking about people wanting to go to a just a, a nicer place you know we just talked to sarah dici about getting out of new york city and going back home to texas where i imagine she's got a little bit more breathing room also oh, yeah. go you could do a lot worse than austin if you want to get a mortgage on a house mm-hmm. this is one of the best financial decisions i ever made yeah D- D- dici has a, like a warehouse she's renting now for her office it's it's crazy it's like this massive garage whereas when she was in new york you know forget what you can afford to rent awesome. there it's yeah. crazy yeah yeah oh yeah no definitely well we've got we've got several here um 
I'm actually going to hijack it and ask you one first. By the way, everybody listening, if you want to be priority on questions, start your own podcast and record like 180 hours of it, and then you get to hijack the questions. That is the easiest way to be first on the list. Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you how Poppy came to you and how you can lure possums into living on your land. And this this sounds like a goofy question, but I am 100% sincere. So Poppy was brought in because uh, she, the story I heard was from the person that brought him in was they said they did everything right. They sat there. If you see a possum with a baby, right. And the baby's not in the pouch and they, they're like, mars- they're marsupials. So they have a pouch like a kangaroo. Um, and if the baby falls out or something, and this, typically this is what will happen. They have seven, they can have 17 babies, 17 babies. And I think they only have, they have less than that when it comes to teeth. They only have like 12 teeth. So some are just going to die regardless, right? Um, But some will get separated from the mom and the mom will sit there. And apparently they sat there from like a good distance, say 20 feet. And they saw the mom with the baby making noises. And that's why they came over at night at a park. And then uh, they were making these little noises. And then she was trying to grab onto the mom's like side like they do, right? You've probably seen the pictures. And then she just kind of fell off. After a while, the mom just started walking away. And that's it. So after like 20 minutes, they just decided to pick up the baby and, uh, and then went ahead and, you know, uh, brought her in. So I, and I was being mentored at the time, uh, by a rehabber and I could work under their practice. Uh, and then there were times too, and I'm not going to lie. There were times where, and and this is something I'm going to have to talk with the, uh, with parks and wildlife about, but this is how most rehabbers start. I feel is they start by just, you know, like when we were at Baylor, like people would bring me squirrels and the closest rehab was far away. So, you know, it was, it was two hours away. So at least for a period of time until we could take it there, you know, especially when COVID hit, you know, people weren't even bringing in new animals. So at that point, what's the ethical thing, right? Do you take it? Do you just euthanize it? Do you get rid of it because you can't legally take care of it? Or if you know, all I have to do is just bottle feed it. Do you just do that? So that's the question, right? And, but we took in Poppy and Poppy was just, you know, really chill. And we have footage of that from on TikTok. And, and uh, then after a while though, the time came for Poppy to just kind of go into the wild. So, uh, you know, and while I did at certain times when she was little, kind of coddle her and befriend her and all that, at the end of the day, like, for example, right now, she's under the barn and will not come out. You know, you could say, Poppy, come here. You can put food out there. You put a hot dog near it. She's not going to come out. She's going to sit there. And then at three in the morning, I'll wake up from a fever dream. And then I'll look out the window. And then Poppy's just like sitting there nibbling on something. Right. Um, <laughs> so, but she's still there. And she'll like sometimes let me approach her, but sometimes she won't. So that's an example, I think, of a successful release where at the time she needed to be bottle fed because she couldn't live without mommy's milk. And then she grew up and when the time for her to go happen, she left and I'd walk in the farm, do my chores. And if I see Poppy just kind of like crawling around, I would just grab her and film with her. So yeah, I keep answering your no, question want- long. Probably oh more no, 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 this is, this is good stuff. And uh, yeah, like I legitimately want a bunch of possums here because of all the ticks they eat for people who yes aren't in the Northeast, uh, Connecticut, New York around there, uh, or aren't in the U S uh, Lyme disease is passed sure. by tear, by deer ticks. And I just have to slather myself in 
in anti-tick juice uh, to do anything outside. And it sucks. I just don't like it. And, you know, you're always afraid of, of uh, having a tick bite you. Uh, when you do, it's a process. It's tough to remove. And then when you do, you've got to save it and go to the hospital. And if you develop a rash, you have to bring in the tick for testing as you get confirmation of your incurable disease. So ticks are real <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, and I've had awesome thousands per acre. They're amazing. Have you, have you had it? Have you had, uh, do you know anyone that's had Lyme disease? I know people I do. who do have it. Yeah. But there, I haven't, oh, I've been bitten and I've removed a lot of ticks. Um, uh, like my mom had uh, a tick bite her leg last year and it just like, it's so hard because they can be in places that you don't see. And by mm -hmm. the time you see or feel them, you know, Ugh, oh my god it's it's awful so you yeah, just gotta that's to good showers when you're done yeah 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 well i want the army i want an army of possums working on my behalf all through the night that's yeah. what i need i'd rather have an army of possums than lyme disease uh <laughs> I, I i got it a while back and, and i had the night sweats and everything and thank god my dad is a uh, is a uh, ophthalmologist so okay he was able to just write a prescription for, um, uh, you don't need to bring the tick in if you find it necessarily. Um, but oh, is that wisdom change then? I don't, maybe it's different for you guys. I was in Pittsburgh, so okay. might be different. Um, it also it's something I really want to avoid altogether though. It's they're the weird. Worst, not in those oh, things. It, is, it makes COVID look like not <laughs> 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 that much hairs, but, <laughs> but I mean, if you're, if you're like over the age of 60 and you get it, sorry, yeah. it's going to be tough. It's going to be chronic pain and difficulty pretty much forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to do my best to, to have that army of possums, which I would want to be clear. I, I would want an army of possums, even if Lyme disease didn't exist, because <laughs> I, yeah. I think that if you can have an army of possums, that would be the coolest thing ever. Well, that um, just non-problematic animals too you can stick your there's tons of videos on youtube like don't do this obviously but you can stick a <laughs> hand in their mouth with a glove a wild one a straight up just random wild possum you can stick your hand in their mouth they're probably not gonna bite you <laughs> you can put grab a random wild one put it on your shoulder and it'll scratch you up a little bit because it's like oh my god what's happening right now you know <laughs> but it's not gonna hurt you well uh, speaking of getting hurt uh, this one comes from andy how many times has kevin bitten you uh, let me count. Uh, probably at least 12 or 13, maybe 20. Uh, I don't know. It never really like, you know, there was one time when it started to get infected, but I just put in some stuff. <laughs> just pour some bleach on it and go on with your day. <laughs> I have a Clorox wipe. Wipes it <laughs> in some of those videos though, he's really grabbing on. It looks like if somebody just took a pair of needle nose pliers and just squeezed your skin i mean it's gotta hurt but you talked through it like normally you're like oh oh kevin's biting me and boy does that hurt you talked through it as if you didn't feel anything at all how do you how do you do that i, I used to row do you guys ever row it's just mm -hmm. enduring pain for as long as you can you know that's really all it is it's not you don't have to be hand-eye coordinated or anything like that it's just how how long can you be in pain for i thought <laughs> i might um but also Oh, you'll get bit, you know, that's way worse. At least I know Kevin doesn't have something like rabies or, or toxo or yeah, all, all kinds of issues. Um, but yeah, love that guy. 
this is from Dr. Uwu. Um, have you tried body slamming Kevin to assert dominance? Now I have with this podcast and I failed. It didn't work. <laughs> I, I, I threw my back out as I picked him up to body slam him. <laughs> I did try. No, I grabbed him one time. One time uh, with it, with you can watch the one where I'm wearing a uh, Mr. Incredibles thing. That triggered most of my subscribers. It was really funny. I, I chugged a raw ostrich egg and I got salmonella, respectively. And uh, oh my God. Bro, oh, dude, that sucks. That was also something that I would be like, man, there's sometimes there's worse things than COVID out there. That was terrible. I'm not going to say it was worse, but, but I. Before that, though, I was wearing the Mr. Incredible outfit, and I just kind of bear hugged Kevin for the first time. It was exhilarating uh, because I knew that if he came back and bit me, he can't. He once almost tried to get my eye. That was probably the most danger I'd ever experienced from Kevin was when he came probably about a millimeter close from making me half blind. Um, wow. But uh, but you know, it's funny. You can assert your dominance on him. You can do whatever you want to him for a day. Right. And then for the rest of the day, he's going to be like, all right, all right, all right, man, you're good. You're the man. <laughs> then the next day you wake up, open the blinds and he's trying to kill me through the window again. You know, <laughs> so it's, there's no, that's what, that's what it comes down to. And I think that when the, the, when the mating season is done, when this camera stops laying and things start getting a little cold again, he's going to be just like Karen. And then I can eventually train him to eat out of my hand. Like I did with Karen. But, um, it's going to be a while. Uh, Kino uh, asks what you studied at Baylor. And I wondered this too, as you were talking about uh, getting into animal rehab, I was like, oh, I wonder if, if he studied like accounting and this is completely different or if it was biology and it was, it was uh, uh, kind of a parallel thing. Yeah. So I was always that guy that knew a bunch of random stuff about animals in high school, uh, I think. And I would always, and I would do the same stuff in high school, came to Baylor for psych neuroscience because I, that was what was interesting and novel to me. Uh, then I realized like the career paths in that weren't the most interesting and necessarily the most rewarding. Um, and then I had some tough tests and then I switched to business. And we had this thing at Baylor where we'd say business by Christmas, uh, you know, ring by spring, you know, the, the <laughs> Christmas. And that it literally actually happened to me. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I had felt a, a calling towards that. Uh, I prayed a lot about it and I'd gone to a major fair and I felt like God was telling me to do that. So um, this homeless man at church literally came up to me and said, Hey, uh, after I'd had a, a night of just uh, that freshman breakdown moment, when you're like, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing here? This homeless man literally comes up to me the next day uh, and he says, Hey man, I just felt like God wanted me to tell you that you don't have to worry about what your purpose is and what you end up doing will be great, but not at all what you expect. So just, uh, trust in him, continue to, you know, and that really kind of was a pivotal moment for me. Next day I went to a major fair and, uh, I prayed, I was like, please just make it really clear what you want me to do. Cause I do not care. This chick had no earthly business doing this runs across the room. It says, Hey, have you heard of Baylor pro sales? And I majored in sales. Um, a lot more prayer and everything went into that. And obviously I was just like, no, <laughs> don't want to do sales. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody wants to do sales, you know what I mean? But, but most of the people end up doing sales, whether you major in finance, accounting, all these other things, a lot of people end up going out of college and then they can't find a role in their major. So they end up doing sales or they hate the role in their major, right? Because accounting sucks. I'm sorry if you guys know or love any accounts. Some people are made for that kind of, some people are made to be engineers. They love being in the lab. They love doing the tests over and over again. I would hate that. Um, 
you know, and at least sales provided me that kind of social stimulation. And I liked it. I was kind of good at giving presentations and everything. Um, got, did a few great internships with wonderful companies, landed a job at Oracle. And that's how we ended up here. Long answer to that question. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's that, how it works though. Like that fail. story is we've had a couple people tell stories about these weird roundabout ways uh, to get to something. And it sounds like it doesn't make sense. At the same time, it makes perfect sense. Every one of your videos, whether it's TikTok or a YouTube video, is uh, is basically sales. It, uh, like, I know you don't intend for you're it to be, but, right. but you're selling people on the channel on that content and it works. Regardless of what you do, even if you go into the medical field, you're going to be selling yourself in your, in your interviews. You're going to be selling yourself mm-hmm. when you get your own practice, you know, have fun mm-hmm. not having any business acumen. And once you get there, and they prey on people. these businesses, they prey on people. They give you really low starting salaries uh, if you're an engineer, because they know that you don't know how the first thing about negotiations. So you're going to get your $60,000 offer per year, which is great. That's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. If you make $60,000, good for you. That's awesome. Um, huge blessing. But if you have a master's at Carnegie Mellon, like my brother for, for material science engineering, $60,000 is kind of low because that's just one year yeah. of tuition, you know? Um, anyways, that's my rant, but, but yeah. That's awesome. That's just, that's just a good bet. Like that's, that is probably in the top five of uh crazy create unknown, uh, point A to point B paths. <laughs> uh, let's see what's next. Cause uh, we do get these out of order and try to try to sort them. Um, oh, here's a, a real nuts and bolts one from Dan the Latch. How do you cope with the smell? And I want to extend onto that. Do you have any issues with the neighborhood? And, you know, somebody's on the other side of that eight foot privacy fence. Do they ever smell anything? They're dope. Love these guys. Really cool. Um, so the smell would be here. In the, and first off, it doesn't exist. There's no smell in the winter. And in the summer when it's really hot, there's no smell too, because they'll lay their stinkies. And then probably about 20 minutes later, when it's 100 degrees, you don't smell it. It turns into earth. All right. But in the spring and in the fall, that's whenever we have issues with flies and everything. A regular part of my chores, and I talk about this in the videos, is I go through and I just use stick spray and I spray down the poop real good, rub it into the ground. And that keeps the yard fertilized. It keeps the, the place clean and free of disease and it keeps things smelling great. So that's how I deal with the smell. And uh, when it comes to in the house, I have a policy now where it's, you know, oh, Kevin is chasing poggers around right now. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but I'm not worried about him, though, because he's a hundred pound dog. But uh, the, the, there's there's no smell in the house either at this point, uh, just because we're not doing, you know, now we're focusing on growth and fundraising. We're not focusing on, hey, let's rescue as many animals as we possibly can. You know, that's the long run right now. Um, so we don't have any animals in the house, believe it or not, except for the garage. Uh, this one is about two of them about your consumption. The first one is from Monsieur Chinchilla, who, by the way, uh, helped me out with uh, with some of the prep on this. Chinchilla knows animals quite well uh, and draws excellent artwork of animals, particularly birds. Um but he, pre- he wants to probe you on this salmonella thing. Did you just not consider when you ate the, the raw egg that you might get salmonella? I'm going to be real with you. I thought I was immune. That, I thought there is no way I don't have salmonella at this point. And I have had it in the past. And I figured at this point, I am immune. So now I, I'm second guessing. Was that E. coli? Was that something oh. else? It's been a slew of things. Any foodborne illness. Um, 
How bad was it? Well, I, I didn't get it tested. I didn't get a stool sample, but I just, you know, again, it's the same kind of thing where I just asked a doctor friend, I said, bro, can you please write me a prescription for, I forget what it's, what it is for salmonella. Um, and, uh, I got the antibacterial thing or the, the, uh, I can't think of the word, but, uh, antibiotic and that did the trick, but I did have two, three days of fever, night sweats and, uh, being glued to the toilet. Uh, <laughs> So I figured at that point, I was like, yeah, this isn't just some normal, you know, two, two day thing. Well, this one's from Boromir. What came first, the ostrich or the ostrich egg? You must have some perspective on this. Boromir. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, I'd say the, the ostrich came first. That's my own personal opinion. Somebody has to incubate that egg. <laughs> This, uh, by the way, I got, I got to say this This is one of those things. I'll never get another opportunity to mention this on the podcast. Uh, you were talking about incubation. I was talking to chinchilla a couple days ago. I found in the woods, a hundred year old brooder stove, uh, that when you were talking about heating up in the, the brooding things, it's, it's, uh, like this big cast iron, uh, rusted brooder stove that has like instructions to burn like chestnuts and charcoal in it. The weirdest thing ever. Interesting for, for chickens. Yeah, yeah, it was from the the Buckeye Incubator Company. It's it's got to be probably from the teens, if I had to guess. There's collectors on Facebook. Go make your money, man. Go I make wish it were in better shape. It's awfully rusted, but it was cool to to Wait, stumble on. Yeah, that's that. Well, that's really cool. I see those. I'm on a I'm on a Facebook group called Hatchaholics Anonymous. <laughs> okay, that kind of stuff all the time, and then these people will be like, "Oh, I'll pay eight hundred bucks for that." And it's like, okay. Um, I wouldn't use it though. You know, obviously I don't, <laughs> probably not the best no. thing for birds, but I imagine how difficult it would have been to control that temperature because you said, did you say 99 degrees? Yeah. Back when they were making houses back then, they didn't even like the house that I'm in now in Waco that I'm moving to. And pretty soon we're going to sell this place and, and I'm just going to be there. Um, but that house did not have any insulation at all. There you go. So I'd be surprised if they insulation in those little things. Maybe they did, but those times have changed. Um, are this is this is from Marco, and it, it it's kind of a two parter. Are there going to be uh, visitors in this this facility that that you're going to bring up? You mentioned educational programs. Is that the goal? Is to have a kind of public facing thing that people can come through? For sure, um, we're going to have to see. Uh, that's why. As this thing evolves, right, you know, because it's like with 500,000 YouTube subscribers, that's awesome. Praise God. But at the same time, you know, it's it's like um, some of those people are bound to be at least one of those people is a serial killer. Um, so at that point, do we let them all come and go whenever they want? No. Right. Um, by appointment, potentially. Uh, I'm shipping out all these pigeon toys to fundraise these little pigeon plush toys. And I realized that the thing printed the return address on all of them for the labels. So I'm now trying to figure out, okay, should I mark off the return address? Uh, or should I just bite the bullet and be like, here you go. Love you guys. I trust you. Um, please don't show up. <laughs> please show up. Yeah. yeah. You're playing the numbers there though. <laughs> just takes one. Exactly. You know, we yeah. We talked to I Justine about this, uh, like in one of the very first episodes we did, where it's like, oh, if you have five million subscribers on YouTube and one in a million people are absolutely insane, you've got five insane people after you. Exactly. So at least 
Um, so that's that's the question with that. I, I don't mind having people come visit, right? If somebody came visit, I'd be like, oh, great. Let's do the chores. You know, Hold I the put, camera. <laughs> please pick up the poop back here. Uh, please do this. Can you get this done? And it's like, oh, you can't? And please look out. <laughs> please go. We're busy. You know, uh, and there's going to be a lot of students coming by, right? So our loca- our area is, and it's going to be very hard to keep it a private area. Um, so I think that the big thing is just going to be, you know, let's create a good community, keep a good culture, have a lot of security cameras, um, you know, so that's, that's what we're doing right now. But um, yeah, I'm no Logan Paul, right? So I don't worry about that kind of stuff to this to right now, right? And I also don't make enemies. We have very unproblematic content. You know, I get a surprise. Yeah really get any comments even saying this is animal abuse which is so surprising because on tiktok i couldn't even post me actually rescuing an animal in a very legitimate way without at least someone being like you're not supposed to hold it like that you know um so there's always something like that which is which is what's really surprising about the whole kevin thing but yeah no we're gonna have people eventually it's gonna be by appointment and at the very least at the very most i'd say um and you know it's going to be Waco, Texas. So we're get, we're on a kind of main road. So eventually the goal is to have a little market, little farmer's market, sell some eggs and stuff, but we'll see. It's a good plan. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty interesting and exciting to watch it develop mm-hmm. and play out. Uh, all wildlife. Couple, re- oh, I didn't want to cut you off. Oh, I do want to say one more oh, thing. Well, all wildlife rehabs have a public facing area, but they're not allowed to let people back into the animals anyways. Right. Okay. So, for the wildlife rehab part of the property, people can always come and go there, drop off animals, write something, leave a donation in person or something like that. But they're not allowed to come back and like see the wildlife because it's, you know, wildlife needs to stay wild. Right. Um, yeah. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, no, no. That's all right. Uh, we had a couple kind of operational questions here. Uh, one of them is from Andy. How long do the daily chores take? Like what is the everyday upkeep on this? For, for this set, for my current set of animals that we have now, yep. It, yep. typically 20 minutes a day. It's not That's that. It. Yeah. And then there's a weekly round of chores, right? Where it's like, okay, I already know right now I need to go to track supply and get a bunch of hay, put it down so things look nice and that they're comfortable. Um, you know, but you don't have to do that every day. And then there's things like, okay, the waterers, there's, they're big waterers. So you have to fill those up, you know, once a week. Mm-hmm. And that I'd say then there's like an hour or hour and a half of stuff that I do every week, but it's not that much. And that's how I was able to do it with a full-time job. The beauty now of, of doing what we're doing in Waco is it's like, okay, now we have to put up fencing. Now we have to do all these other things. And then when we have more animals, there's going to be more chores, but I'd say at max capacity, my goal is to have things automated enough to where I'm only spending an hour a day on chores. Um, but then I do spend intentional time with the animals as well. And that's, I would consider to be a chore, a chore you know, sure. that's a podcast. You spend more time editing a video than you do like touring yeah. in a week. Yeah. I also use IMDb and I film with my phone. I have still, I have only uploaded one or two videos that are not, <laughs> that are not with just my phone and iMovie, which is incredible. Uh, not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of YouTubers can say that. And I'm very, I'm very thankful for that. No, and everybody listening should realize that you can get 17 gazillion views on any platform using your phone. 
Yep. Like <laughs> we've had so many people say, don't stress out about the tech or the technique, even uh, like get something done. And if it's good work on making it more compelling. Well, this is like the best possible example of that. Every social platform, except Facebook, we have had videos go viral at least 8 million on every platform. Well, no, at least 6 million views on or 5 million views on every platform. Um, Why not Facebook? Do you think? Uh, bro, I don't know. I just been lazy. I, I, apparently people get paid more for three minute, three to four minute videos. Apparently is what's king on Facebook. And apparently people get paid money on there. I have friends that do the same stuff and, and they're like, yeah, man, I'm not even posting to YouTube anymore. Um, so I I might outsource that or or try and figure that out. Cause any more income that we can get is huge for the animals and what we can do when it comes to size. Um, but who knows? That's awesome. I, uh, Got one from Chinchilla that is very specific and very good. How do you check whether the chicken eggs are fertilized? Do you use the the flashlight method for chicken eggs, or how do you go about it? Uh, so yeah, I use the, I use the uh, candle they call it. I actually just got this in the mail, and I have a couple of nasty eggs in there. Hold this up. I'll show you guys real quick. You just take this little flashlight. And uh, sometimes you don't even need to like see, boom, that one's not developing. So I'm going to take that one out. Oh, wow. This one is developing. See, you see a shadow. Stays in. That one's definitely developing. So I'm going to go ahead and put this back on. And uh, that's all you have to do. You just have to hold the candle up to the egg and you can see whether there's any development. It's just a really strong condensed LED light. That's cool. Did yeah, you, did you, that, uh, oh, yeah. hold on real quick. Ben, did you see? The thing, I don't, I don't know if you know who Destin Sandlin is from Smarter Every Day, but he posted a thing recently on Twitter, I think, where he went to some, God, this story is, is turning out to be weird. I think he went to a museum where they had chicken embryos at various stages and you could see its heartbeat like day two or something like that. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, did you see the human one? Did you guys ever see that museum? It's like a trap. Um, they it was no. on these ships, and then they 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 dissected the people, and the people were all donated to science. They found. Oh, them. I did go to that in Las Vegas. The body it, thing, it, it, body it, it, travel, bodies so. in the Luxor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you can see the people in the little humans, and it's the same kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I thought it's really interesting, and it's really sad. I have, and I'm not gonna lie, this will happen when you farm, right? An egg will get broken or cracked or you'll drop it or something like that. And then what comes out and I will never film this, right? There's really no good that comes from filming this. It's the kind of thing that you post on YouTube and it might get a lot of views, but it's going to get 90% disliked. And um, it's the the moving fetus is in there and they're very alive. Even when they're only this big, like a little jelly bean, you can still see them moving. And um, that's the thing. It's very, it's very weird when you incubate a lot of eggs, when you get used to that from a farming standpoint, it's, um, I don't know. You kind of forget that, like that each little, little egg is sacred that's developing and everything. Cause a lot do die and a lot will just randomly kind of like a miscarriage stop developing through no fault of mm-hmm. your own. Um, but yeah, pretty yeah, cool. I haven't seen that video. Tom just posted it in the episode chat, uh, chicken in an egg smarter every day, two, five, four. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So if anybody's crazy. listening and want to look this up, yeah, check out Chicken and an Egg from Smarter Every Day and it will blow your mind. It did mine. Absolutely. It's crazy. Folks in China hatched an egg in a Petri dish. You can see that. 
they had a really con- controlled petri dish, no shell, and they developed and uh, became. Mm-hmm. Whoa! That's another. I don't know where that video is, but you could probably type that in. Egg hatched in a petri dish. That's like the kind of thing that would have been on an episode of Mind Blow back in the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, we will go lighthearted on this. Uh, to swing back. This is from Baseweight, and I love this. If you could describe the way Kevin's feathers feel using only taste and color, how would you do it? I'd say I'd say they feel only taste and color. It have yeah, to be good, good luck on this question. <laughs> I'd say like a, a, a white pine cone, maybe. I'd say like a white feathery, I don't know. I can't do that. I've tasted I've probably tasted Kevin's feather at one point during a fight. Um, <laughs> probably like white poop. <laughs> so this hits uh, Marco's question. How much he wanted to know how much feed have you eaten? Uh, but yeah, what, what's gone in your mouth from the rescue ranch? That's my question. Uh, a lot. It's probably too much. Um, but I definitely poop has definitely gone in my mouth at some point or other. You gotta be careful with that because the diseases. But yeah. I'd say, uh, how much feed have I eaten? Not a lot. I've tried it. I've tasted it every now and then just to see what do these guys actually eat? Is it better than the best? Yeah. Who hasn't tried cat food or dog food? (laughs) (laughs) It's delicious. Um, (laughs) uh, Is, uh, oh, oh, right. I saw you in some of the videos. You walk around with bare feet. Yeah, because it's my yard, you know. That apparently, my freaking out about that my mom was like i have a yard too but it's not like loaded with animal feces that's that's fair yeah my shower i just wondered about whether like how you pull that off i come back inside i step on my heels and then when it gets bad sometimes i'll spray it off before but i'll usually just step on my heels and then just kind of hop right over to the shower and it is a regular occurrence for me when you say chores this also includes I don't include like me regularly swiffering the entire house at least once a week and vacuuming everything. Um, and when you have animals inside, it's like you do that two or three times a week. It's a lot. Of, every cleaning is everything in wildlife rehab and, and animal rescue. But uh, uh, we got a couple more. We got a couple more here, and then we can we can shoot you back to the ranch. Uh, I hope you can answer this one. Maybe you can't. It's from Andy. Do you have a favorite animal on the ranch? Favorite animal. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think Poggers counts because Poggers wasn't a rescue. No, no, I'd say it's probably the baby. The baby is just like the most surreal thing. It just, he doesn't think about anything. You know, he doesn't have any kind of emotional attachment to anything because it, I don't think he can. They lack a cerebellum or a corpus callosum, which is what connects the two parts of the brain. Uh, so, and, and basically I'd say that they're very similar here or sheep, you know, when it comes to their temperament and personality. So it is very cool. He he doesn't ask anything of me. He's very content, you know, and even now he doesn't try to get inside all the time. I'll open the door. He'll be sitting on there. And then if I come up to him and feed him, he'll always eat out of my hand. And if I want to pet him, he'll just sit there and enjoy it, you know, and uh, that's really about it. Every now and then he'll greet me with his presence by hopping up to the door and then I'll let him in. He'll like sit on the couch. But that's really it. That's why I'd say he's probably my favorite animal for sure. Low me. <laughs> um, Even when he was a baby, he literally stayed in the pouch 90%. Of, like, I think it was like 60, 70% of the day, he's in the pouch. He doesn't poop in the pouch. You, you get him out of the pouch, bottle feed him, cuddle with him, 
He loves you, treats you like his mom. And then you put him back in the pouch. Then you like show him the pouch. He hops right in. And then he just goes straight to sleep immediately. So low maintenance. Very easy. How is that real? I don't know, man. It's like, bro, I've taken, I have, I have rescued and baby squirrels, possums, you know, deer, uh, everything in bird, all the birds. It, this was the easiest, um, you know, to take care of. So they That's can still, awesome. everybody should have a kangaroo. Everyone should have a kangaroo. <laughs> um, We've got uh, a general one here uh, from Marco. What do you what do you like most about all of this? About taking care of the animals? It's something I've always you know wanted and prayed for since I was a little kid was to just be able to have some animals, right? Um, so I'm just I'm thankful that and privileged that I get the opportunity to do it, um, and that's why I'm honestly like and, I, and I'm thankful for the house and everything. But I'm excited more so to go to Waco and and live somewhere crappy with you know. Uh, with a lot more space for them. Um, that's what I like the most about it is just being able to spend time with it and everything else. Although the social media being the lifeblood of everything that enables me to do the things, right? Uh, although that's great, it's it also takes away from the joy of it. I think that the social media really robbed me of the joy of having the animals and spending time with them and being intentional with them. and, and um, Because, you know, until you guys, you know, and, and you guys know what it's like to post a video and like feel the metrics be, become the most important thing. And, and uh, you know, and you're never satisfied, right? Once you get that big hit, once you start getting a lot higher engagement, everything else, then it's like, oh, I, I want the next thing. I want the next thing. You know, it's very hard to stop and be thankful and, and love it. That's why I'm taking a break pretty soon. Yeah. And it's nice to have people helping you out. The, the fact that you do uh, most everything. Um, that's tough. That is really tough. Uh, that's, you know, we've talked to people who run the range, you know, again, I, Justine, again, she 20 years in still edits her own videos. Um, other people have like a team of 10 doing it, you know, the, the whole yeah. gamut is there. Um, uh, uh-huh. and everybody's got the place where they, they like it the most. And, uh, yeah. And as you, you keep going and, and other, other people do some of the things that, that rob that joy from you, things might get a little better. Comparison is one of the biggest thing that robs the joy. But the beautiful thing though, too, is in the beautiful thing and what we were talking about earlier is like the dream of like you can at any point just to know oh the baby's chasing poggers. They're all (laughs) that's so funny. The baby was chasing the little the little uh chicken around. He he's gonna start fighting things really soon. I cannot wait for that. Um (laughs) that would be so fun. But but um the beautiful thing is, yeah, at any point not at time, we can all, you know, have the aspiration at least to to go out to the country. You know, you can get a crappy house and still survive, right? Still better than what most people in India have. And um, you know, and in in the US and and uh, you know, you can leave it all behind. There's always something you can do. I love it. Well, the last question is from Tom Videogre. Um, what's What's a thing that happened in the last week that made you smile the most? Uh, last week? Sure. Or, we could go two weeks. We could go a month. Just two weeks. I'd say when I saw Karen's first egg month, that made me more excited than when I realized, oh my gosh, the YouTube is like quintupling or five tupling <laughs> size. When I saw Karen's first egg, that was it. I had been waiting for that for like years. I was so proud of her. Um, 
but uh, I'd say that was it probably that made me smile the most. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the YouTube is growing. Uh, you just, as you talked to us, hit the 550,000 subscriber mark. It, uh, yeah. yeah, you were 549 and change when we started recording and, uh, and you ticked over, over 550 somewhere, somewhere in, in the middle of us talking. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing. I am, uh, you know, what's funny, you know, if you grow a uh, 2000 subs in a day, it's like the best thing ever. Right. But when you're used to growing 10,000 subs a day, it's not the best thing. And, and, you know, it's the same kind of thing like the beach. It's like moving to the beach, you know, the beach kind of sucks after you've been living there for a while <laughs> and you start comparing yourself to other people and comparing your things, other things. I'm super thankful for the growth. I'm super thankful for what we have. And it's really easy to look around at competitors, people I looked up to a lot, people that I loved, channels that I loved watching when I was a kid that I now have more subs than it's ridiculous. But at the same time, it's also just like it's very easy to look at these other folks and be like, man, when am I going to have that? Money? When am I going to, you know? So I'm thankful for that, but I've decided lately to just kind of stop looking at the numbers and continue to go back and focusing on things. And what's cool is I've learned all of this with TikTok, but I'm relearning it again. It's kind of a constant thing, right? You know, TikTok's like YouTube junior. It's like fame junior. You know, you, you, you can grow a lot easier on TikTok. You can go viral a lot quicker. You can get literally a million subs in a couple weeks on TikTok. It doesn't really equate to anything uh, necessarily but um still pretty cool and and uh i'm glad that i experienced that with tiktok so i know okay i'm getting burned out right now that's what this is you know or okay this is this is too much i need to dial it back don't need to post every day Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. well by the time this episode comes out it'll be fascinating to see what that subscriber number on youtube has gotten to and has ballooned to at that point Um, well but yeah uh It'll be, it'll be a week uh, from tomorrow. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thursday. God, I don't even know what day it is. Uh, the 27th. Does that sound right? Yeah. We're plateauing. Yeah. Surprised if it was much more than like five sixty five. you know, uh, if it was just a week from tomorrow, but, um, that that pedestrian 10,000 subs in seven days. (laughs) Yeah. Literally though. That's, that's, that's why I don't even talk about the stuff. I don't talk because it's reality though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like when people, you know, some people, uh, get a lot of money at a certain point, you know, $10,000 doesn't excite somebody. It would excite me right now. Uh, (laughs) but you know, it's not gonna, uh, you know, it's, it's a rounding error for somebody like Elon Musk. Uh, it's just a, a relative scale thing. And there's really, there's nothing weird about it. It feels weird, uh, to, to, you know, think about it and, and kind of admit that that's the reality, but it is the reality. I'm thankful that I learned that stuff with sales first too, you know, because it's like, you know, you have a great, same kind of thing, great quarter, you, you knock it out of the park, you have a ton of meetings, you sell whatever. And, um, you know, you feel wonderful about yourself, but then after a while, it's like, okay, not now, what? you know, that's not it. There's gotta be more, mm-hmm. you know? So, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've said I've said before on this podcast, you you just go on living. The credits don't roll because life's not a movie. So then you have to wake up the next day and still do stuff. But yeah. um, <laughs> if uh, if 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 your your idea of doing stuff is watching Farmer Ben fend off uh, <laughs> his backyard wildlife with a riot shield, then I would uh, highly 
recommend you join the the burgeoning subscriber list. Go to uh, the Urban Rescue Ranch on YouTube or uh, oh, TikTok or oh. Instagram or Patreon. Patreon as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot coming. If you haven't noticed by um, the plans for for Ben here, uh, what the future holds is going to be bigger, better, and um, basically the opposite of Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> doing things the right way um listen ben thanks so much for joining us it was it was a pleasure getting to meet you and, and talk to you and uh, looking forward to where you go from here yeah a pleasure of mine guys appreciate it all right everyone uh thanks for hanging out with us thanks for our patrons in the episode chat uh if you want to become a patron and hang out with us here on wednesday nights just go to patreon.com slash the create unknown we're always here with you and for you until then We'll see you, Space Cowboys. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. We'd like to extend a huge thank you and congratulations to the Tots and Dumpster crew who save tiny little lives every single month. A tremendous shout out to our elite baby gang commanders. Trevsdad, Boromir, Botdogs, Chinchilla, Isaac, Conrad, James, Andrew, Jeff Davis, Patrick Pister, Baseweight, Monahim, Dojangles, and Zero. And thank you to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Jen Mafasanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebread, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Ryan, Kamikaze, Maria, Marco Sheep, Tom Bidiogre, Jelksies, and Dan the Latch. Thank you as well to our indentured servants, producer Dan Yosua and producer-editor Ben Webster. Thanks to Baseweight for the use of Created in the Unknown that we use for an opening theme. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production in partnership with Studio 71.